0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nets Up, your ultimate Brooklyn Nets podcast, brought to you in partnership with the lead, the NBA premier cipher team coverage. I'm your host Cozy, and I'll be bringing you a weekly recap of the Nets' journey throughout the NBA season. But before we get started, be sure to listen, rate, and subscribe to Nets Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your content. From Brooklyn, better known as Brooklyn. never taking shorts because Brooklyn's the borough. It's been an interesting week of events in Brooklyn basketball. The words disconnect and dysfunction and dissonance have already been used in the same sentence as Kyrie Irving. We're less than a month into the season, people. Denwitty's injury, granted, it was horrific, and it's horrific for the season, but he's undergone reconstruction of his partially torn ACL. And as we stated in last week's episode with Jeff J, he'll mostly be done for the rest of the season. Kevin Durant has been instructed to quarantine over the next week, so that means he's going to miss Brooklyn's next four. One at home against Utah, another one against First seed Philadelphia, but also a return grudge match against Memphis and back home to face another sub-500 team in OKC. The game against Philadelphia ranked high as it spoke to the potential East Coast playoff matchup and would have been a key indicator as to where Brooklyn stacks up in the conference hierarchy. Since then, with these partial ACL injury during the Nets' loss versus Charlotte, the Nets have lost four out of the last five games, including an 18-point blowout loss, courtesy of the soaring Atlanta Hawks. Their record currently stands as 3-4 and four for the season, landing them at 10th place in the Eastern Conference. But aside from that, here are some key takeaways from last week of basketball. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. For the season, Brooklyn is averaging 16.6 turnovers a game, placing them at 24th out of 30 teams. When asked after the Washington loss, here's what Kyrie Irving had to say. Brian Lewis with the New York Post. Steve mentioned this is going to be a team that might, you know, turn the ball over a fair amount anyway, just because of the nature of the way you guys are playing. But, I mean, have you seen a commonality in, a lot of the turnovers, I mean, a lot of them similar, or they just all kind of different? No, it's basketball. You know, flow of the game. Last few games, we haven't really been taking care of the ball uh, really well, so just some carryover. We'll clean it up. While Kyrie makes several valid points in games like they just played, giving away the ball 20 times and having the same team out shoot you by 20 is a huge learning curve to just categorize as just basketball. But I refer to what KD has to say on this. You know, you look through the stat sheet when you look at the numbers from this loss. What what jumps at you the most? Uh, They shot twenty three more shots than us. Um, Even though we out rebounded them, we we had twenty turnovers. I had six turnovers. I'm turning the ball over too much. Brian Lewis with the New York Post. AD, understanding obviously that you know high usage players are going to get a lot of turnovers, but I mean, are you seeing a commonality, or, or are you noticing anything specific with the turnovers between you and you and Kai? I think you guys had eleven between you. Yeah, I just think we're trying to be aggressive to make plays, and um, sometimes we look overzealous to make a pass. And uh, sometimes you just gotta you gotta find a balance between knowing when to shoot, when to pass. It's tough when you're controlling the offense a lot and. Uh, you know, I could live with two or three, but six of them is too much for me, and I got to just tone it down if our, if our team uh, wants to be successful. The fifth-year man Timothy Luau-Cabreau will be a huge piece of what Brooklyn's success can look like during the stretch of games without KD and for the season, especially as you put him together with Lavert. Right now, shooting about 40% for both field goals and three points, it'll be vital for him to raise that 8.5 average up to about 14 he scored a season-high 21 versus Memphis and 14 versus Washington. But going one for seven and one for five and back-to-backs against Atlanta is a trend that we'll have to see less of. Foul to give for Houston. 9 left. A three wins the series. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. But now we're going for the win. We're down one point, five seconds to go. We take one take from around the internet and discuss whether it's on the mark for the win, or clanging off the backboard. This week, we refer to a New York Post article by Drew Denzik. The article will be posted in the link below. But in the article, Denzik values over-unders for Charlotte, Atlanta, and Brooklyn. Here's a little bit from the article. I have tempered expectations for how well Durant and Kyrie Irving will play early in the season as they adjust to the new system and define their roles and responsibilities. And to a certain degree, the market is pricing the potential that a third superstar, namely James Harden, will be added at some point this season. I do not expect Harden to be traded from Houston this season, so as currently rostered, I am projecting the Nets to win 40 of their 72 games, leading to an underplay on their win total of 46.5. Hold up. Brooklyn finished the 2019-2020 season at 35-37 winning a little over 45% of their games. Has their roster gotten worse? But with the addition of Kevin Durant and him actually playing, adding to a total of two championship caliber offensive monsters, granted, teams get off to a difficult start, but this is completely clanging off the side of the rim. Basically, what he's saying is Brooklyn is going 40-32 and with a winning percentage of 55%. Let's say they get out to a challenging start, which is to be expected in new systems. Given you have old players with new roles and new players with bad habits, I highly doubt a team with as much offensive power as the Nets are not going to be shooting lights out once the team understands their role. Although they are tried and true example, the 98 Bulls started off 8-7 and, and ended their first 20 games at 12-8. and eight. Granted, this report is written in December of 2020, but the inclination is still there. Brooklyn is going to struggle and margins succeed over 500. I really have a hard time believing that that's what the people are saying right now. Deep pass. Deep pass Whoa, stop it stop it do like that What are you doing, Dragons? Did you not get the memo. But if I had to keep it a stack though, the Nets a stack of players with chips on their shoulders. Their most resounding wins come against teams that they have personal history with. Kyrie was hard-pressed to show Boston what they would be missing out for the season. They blew them out. KD is hard-pressed to show Golden State that they are nowhere near the contender they were when he was there. Hence them being demolished to open the night. As competitive and aggressive as these two players are, they can take their foot off the gas at times and aren't known for particularly developing talent around them. Kevin was a young player while leading OKC with Russ, and Kyrie wasn't enjoying minor success until LeBron came to the Cavs, and you know what comes with that in terms of leadership roles. This team will only go as far as these two will it go. A big question is if they could develop the talent around them to step up in their absence. Here's Kyrie talking a little bit more on the topic of guiding a team. Well, I think we just have to manage realistic expectations of uh, what we want out of this group right now, uh, you know, every single day, obviously week to week and then month to month. And, and we put together, you know, a few great months of consistent work and consistent progress, consistent crafting away, way, consistent communication, then we'll be okay. You know, but we, we we're committed to it. And I know the guys in the locker room, everyone in this organization are committed to that. And we want to change this this whole thing. Um, and that, that's not an overnight process. You know, I didn't commit here just for two years or three years or anything like that. Um, so I'm excited for the journey ahead to continue to get better. It is as simple as basketball, but the team effort takes a, a while to get together. Aside from personal vendettas, these players also have a lot to prove with a lot of things not set in stone. At 32, DeAndre Jordan should be looking to show that he's still got something in the tank and his days with the Clippers aren't part of the Hobbit lore. LaVert is looking to show his starting chops with his role being bumped up with the season and an injury of Denwitty. Joe Harris just hit the jackpot. He hit a lot of people's radars with a sizable contract that he's got to show he's earned. And Jared Allen is still looking for a payday. This is his contract year. Brooklyn has an important decision to make, though. Brooklyn has recently applied for a DPE, which is a disabled player exception for the injured Denwitty. Essentially, they can use this to remove him off the books and replace him as long as it's done before January 15th. Once granted, the Nets can beef up their roster for the loss of a key player. According to HoopRumors.com, Brooklyn has a couple options. As a team, if they decide to use their disabled player exception to take on salary in a trade, it can acquire a player making up to 100% of the DPE amount, 100 k For example, a $4 million DPE could be used to trade for a player making $4.1 million. A free agent signed using the DPE can be offered a maximum of one year, while a player acquired via trade using the DPE must be in the final year of his contract. A player claimed off waivers must also be in the final year of his contract, and his salary must fit into a team's DPE. Now, setting those things aside, DPE and contracts and what is it that they can do with the DPE? That brings to mind two things. They can bring back Jamal Crawford as a veteran scoring presence. He already has a strong rapport with the two Nets stars. He already has a decent rapport with the coaching staff and the team, albeit Steve Nash is new. He only played five minutes due to a hamstring injury during their bubble games back in 2020, but he's well-respected around the league and could bring some vital mentorship to those young guards. Another option is to bring back Rondé Hollins-Jefferson off recent waivers from Minnesota. Though he's not going to stretch the floor, he has a long wingspan and can defend. With Brooklyn being so offensively gifted, you would like to balance that out with somebody who can still contribute defensively, but also offensively as well. There's a 9-point average across his years in the league with a high average of 13 with Brooklyn back in 2018. It can serve the Nets to bring back some familiarity to assist with these recent woes so the growing period doesn't have to delay progress and development so much and it doesn't have to cost them wins in the process but what do you think will the Nets survive this next week without kd what would the nets do with their dpe options and currently at 10th in the eastern conference is there a reason to panic yet in the borough? thank you for tuning in to this episode of nets up We'll be back next week. In the meantime, listen to our debut episode and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions, send to netsup at publicworks.com. We'll answer them on air. It's been real. Take care.